0: Hello, hello, hello. This is Keith Roberson and you are listening to I Pray This Helps. Um, We are going to continue our series that we are in and reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I hope that this book is blessing you just like it is blessing me. Um, As you know, uh, or as you might know, Thank God for the group chat, the podcast that I hope is on hiatus until April. I'm going to extend that until May. Um, Just want to make sure that everything is on the up and up and that, um, you know, we are putting our best foot forward. And um, honestly, I just don't feel like we've been able to do that as far as production value has been concerned as of late and so just want to make sure that everything is as it's supposed to be there. Um, we are also going to begin um, uh, seeing it again. Um, there's a lot of movies to review, especially with a lot of movies coming out. Space Jam, Godzilla vs. Kong, etc, etc, and so on. Um, but we are putting first things first and that is... Um, Our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Also while I'm thinking about it um, Fresh Air Media as you know it Will soon be becoming Roberson Creative Media Company And um, we are really looking forward to that And so you'll be seeing a lot of changes If you've been following um, Fresh Air Media for some time now You've seen it evolve and so this is a new hat. This is definitely on brand for us as brands are concerned. And um we are really looking forward to it and um really grateful where God is taking us vision wise. And um with that said, um as we did some house cleaning, um we are going to dive into book two, chapter four of Mere Christianity by C. S. Lewis. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to really hear from someone who really has studied you in a dramatic and impactful way. And we just pray that even as we're reading this book, um, it is not scripture and we don't regard it as scripture, but it does evoke emotion and that it does evoke great thought and greater understanding so lord as they are under the sound of my voice whoever is listening to this i pray that you bless them greatly for wanting to know more and more about you we love you and we praise you it is in jesus precious name we pray and give thanks amen book two chapter four the perfect penitent We are faced, then, with a frightening alternative. This man we are talking about either was and is just what he said or else a lunatic or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was... And is God. God has landed on this enemy occupied world in human form. And now, what was the purpose of it all? What did he come to do? Well, to teach of course. But as soon as you look into the New Testament or any other Christian writing, you will find they are constantly talking about something different. About his death and his coming to life again. It is obvious that Christians think the chief point of the story lies there. They think the main thing he came to earth to do was to suffer and be killed. Now, before I became a Christian, I was under the impression that the first thing Christians had to believe was one particular theory as to what the point of this dying was. According to that theory, God wanted to punish men for having deserted and joined the great rebel or great rebel but Christ volunteered to be punished instead, and so God let us off. Now I admit that even this theory does not seem to me quite so immoral and so silly as it used to, but that is not the point I want to make. What I came to see later on was that neither this theory nor any other is Christianity. The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God, and given us a fresh start. Theories as to how it did this are another matter. A good many different theories have been held as to how it works. What all Christians are agreed on is that it does work. I will tell you what I think it is like. All sensible people know that if you are tired and hungry, a meal will do you good. But the modern theory of nourishment all about the vitamins and proteins is a different thing. People ate their dinners and felt better long before the theory of vitamins was ever heard of. And if the theory of vitamins is someday abandoned they will go on eating their dinners just the same. Theories about Christ's death are not Christianity. They are explanations about how it works. Christians would not all agree as to how important these theories are. My own church, the Church of England, does not lay down any one of them as the right one. The Church of Rome goes a bit further. But I think they will all agree that the thing itself is infinitely more important than any explanations that theologians have produced. I think they would probably admit that no explanation will ever be quite adequate to the reality. But as I said in the preface of this book, I am only a layman, and at this point we are getting into deep water. I can only tell you, for what it is worth, how I personally look at the matter. In my view, the theories are not themselves the thing you are asked to accept. Many of you no doubt have read Jeans or Eddington. What they do when they want to explain the atom or something of that sort is to give you a description out of which you can make a mental picture. But then they warn you that this picture is not what the scientists actually believe. What the scientists believe is a mathematical formula. The pictures are only to help you to understand the formula. They are not really true in the way the formula is. They do not give you the real thing, but only something more or less like it. They are only meant to help. And if they do not help, you can drop them. The thing itself cannot be pictured. It can only be expressed mathematically. We are in the same boat here. We believe that the death of Christ is just that point in history at which something absolutely unimaginable from outside shows through into our own world. And if we cannot picture even the atoms of which our own world is built, of course, we are not going to be able to picture this. Instead, if we found that we could fully understand it, that very fact would show it was not what it professes to be. The inconceivable... The uncreated. The thing from beyond nature. Striking down into nature like lightning. You may ask what good it will be to us if we do not understand it. But that is easily answered. A man can eat his dinner without understanding exactly how food nourishes him. A man can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. Indeed. He certainly would not know how it works until he has accepted it. We are told that Christ was killed for us. That his death has washed out our sins. And that by dying he disabled death itself. That is the formula. That is Christianity. That is what has to be believed. Any theories we build up as to how Christ's death did all this are, in my view, quite secondary. Mere plans or diagrams to be left alone if they do not help us. And even if they do help us, not to be confused with the thing itself. All the same, some of these theories are worth looking at. The one most people have heard is the one I mentioned before. The one about our being left off because Christ has volunteered to bear punishment instead of us. Now on the face of it, that is a very silly theory. If God was prepared to let us off, why on earth did he not do so? And what possible point could there be in punishing an innocent person instead? None at all that I can see. If you are thinking of punishment in the police court sense... On the other hand, if you think of a debt, there is plenty of point in a person who has some assets paying it on behalf of someone who has not. Or if you take paying the penalty, not in the sense of being punished, but in the more general sense of standing the racket or footing the bill, then of course, it is a matter of common experience that when one person has got himself into a hole, the trouble of getting him out usually falls on a kind friend. Now what was the sort of hole man had got himself into? He had tried to set up on his own, to behave as if he belonged to himself. In other words, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this movement full speed as stern is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. And here comes the catch. Only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. The only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he would not need it. Remember, this repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death, is not something God demands of you before he will take you back, in which he would In which he could let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it. You are really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. Very well then. We must go through with it. But the same badness which makes us need it. Makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps us? Yes, but what do we mean when we talk of God helping us? We mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. He lends us a little of his reasoning powers, and that is how we think. He puts a little of his love into us, and that is how we love one another. When you teach a child writing, you hold its hand while it forms the letters. That is, it forms the letters because you are forming them. We love and reason because God loves and reasons and holds our hand while we do it. Now, if we had not fallen, that would be all plain sailing. But unfortunately, we now need God's help in order to do something which God, in his own nature, never does at all. To surrender, to suffer, to submit, to die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process at all. So that the one road for which we now need God's leadership, most of all, is a road God, in his own nature, has never walked. God can share only what he has. This thing, in his own nature, he has not. But supposing God became a man... Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, and it was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could help us. But supposing God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could help us. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man, and he could do it perfectly because he was God. You and I can go through this process only if God does it in us, but God can do it only if he becomes man. Our attempts at this dying will succeed only if we share in God's dying, just as our thinking can succeed only because it is a drop out of the ocean of his intelligence. But we cannot share God's dying unless God dies. And he cannot die except by being a man. That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself need not suffer at all. I have heard some people complain that if Jesus was God as well as man, then his sufferings and death lose all value in their eyes because it must have been so easy for him. Others may, very rightly, rebuke the ingratitude and ungraciousness of this objection. What staggers me is the misunderstanding it betrays. In one sense, of course, those who make it are right. They have even understated their own case. The perfect submission, the perfect suffering, the perfect death, were not only easier to Jesus because he was God, but were possible only because he was God. But surely that is a very odd reason for not accepting them. The teacher is able to form the letters for the child because the teacher is grown up and knows how to write. That, of course, makes it easier for the teacher, and only because it is easier for him can he help the children. If it rejected him because it's easy for grown-ups and waited to learn writing from another child who could not write itself and so had no unfair advantage, it would not get on very quickly. If I am drowning in a rapid river, a man who still has one foot on the bank may give me a hand which saves my life. Ought I to shout back between my gasps? No, it's not fair. You have an advantage. You're keeping one foot on the bank. That advantage, call it unfair if you like, is the only reason why he can be of many of any use to them or to me. To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? Such is my own way of looking at what Christians call the atonement. But remember, this is only one more picture. Do not mistake it for the thing itself. And if it does not help you, drop it. Chapter 5 The Practical Conclusion The perfect surrender and humiliation were undergone by Christ perfect because he was God, surrender and humiliation because he was man. Now the Christian belief is that if we somehow share the humility and suffering of Christ, we shall also share in his conquest of death and find a new life after we have died in it because become perfect and perfectly happy creatures. This means something more than our trying to follow his teaching. People often ask when the next step in evolution, the step to something beyond man, will happen. But in the Christian view, it has happened already. In Christ, a new kind of man appeared. And a new kind of life which began in him is to be put into us. How is this to be done? Now please remember how we acquired the old ordinary kind of life. We derived it from others, from our father and mother and all our ancestors without our consent, and by a very curious process involving pleasure, pain, and danger, a process you would never have to guess, a process which you never would have guessed. Most of us spend a good many years in childhood trying to guess it, and in some children, when They are first told do not believe it and I am not sure that I blame them for it is very odd. Now the God who arranged that process is the same God who arranges how the new kind of life the Christ life is to be spread. We must be prepared for it being odd too. He did not consult us when he invented sex. He has not consulted us either when he invented this. There are three things that spread the Christ's life to us. Baptism, belief, and that mysterious action which different Christians call by different names, Holy Communion, the Mass, the Lord's Supper. At least, those are the three ordinary methods. I'm not saying there, are, there may not be special cases where it is spread without one or more of these i have not time to go into special cases and i do not know enough if you are trying in a few minutes to tell a man how to get to edinburgh you will tell him the trains he can it is true get there by boat or by plane but you will hardly bring that in and i am not saying anything about which of these three things is the most essential my Methodist friend would like me to say more about belief and less in prop- in, proportion- in proportion about the other two. But I am not going into that. Anyone who professes to teach you Christian doctrine will in fact tell you to use all three. And that is enough for our present purpose. I cannot myself see why these things should be the conductors of the new kind of life. But then... If one did not happen to know, I should never have seen any connection between a particular physical pleasure and the appearance of a new human being in the world. We have to take reality as it comes to us. There is no good jabbering about what it ought to be like or what we should have expected it to be like. But though I cannot see why it should be so, I can tell you why I believe it is so. I have explained why I have to believe that Jesus was and is God. And it seems plain as a matter of history that he taught his followers that the new life was communicated in this way. In other words, I believe it on his authority. Do not be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you have been told them by someone you think trustworthy. 99%. Of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there is such a place as New York. I have not seen it myself. I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, atoms, evolution, and the circulation of the blood on authority. Because the scientists say so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us have seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you prove a thing in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that left us about them. Or tell us about them, in fact, on authority. A man who jibbed at authority and other things, as some people do in religion, would have to be content to know nothing all his life. A man who jibbed at authority and other things, as some people do in religion, would have to be content to know nothing all his life. Do not think I'm setting up baptism and belief in the Holy Communion as things that will do instead of your own attempts to copy Christ. Your natural life is derived from your parents. That does not mean it will stay there if you do nothing about it. You can lose it by neglect or you can drive it away by committing suicide. You have it to feed it. You have to feed it and look after it. But always remember, you are not making it. You are only keeping up a life you got from someone else. In the same way, a Christian can lose the Christ life which has been put into him, and he has to make efforts to keep it. But even the best Christian that ever lived is not acting on his own steam. He is only nourishing or protecting a life he could never have acquired by his own efforts. And that has practical consequences. As long as the natural life is in your body, it will do a lot towards repairing that body. Cut it and up to a point it will heal as a dead body would not. A live body is not one that never gets hurt, but one that can to some extent repair itself. In the same way, a Christian is not a man who never goes wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and being over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him. Let's read it again. In the same way, a Christian is not a man who never does wrong, but a man who is enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, enabling him to repeat in some degree, the kind of voluntary death which Christ himself carried out. That is why the Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to be good. They hope, by being good, to please God if there is one, or if they think there is not. At least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. And let me make it quite clear that when Christians say the Christ life is in them, they do not mean simply something mental or moral. When they speak of being in Christ or of Christ being in them, this is not simply a way of saying they are thinking about Christ or copying him. They mean that Christ is actually operating through them, that the whole mass of Christians are the physical organism through which Christ acts, that we are his fingers and muscles, the cells of his body, and perhaps that explains one or two things. It explains why this new life is spread not only by purely mental acts like belief but by bodily acts like baptism and Holy Communion. It is not merely the spread of an idea, it is more like evolution, a biological or superbiological fact. There is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual. God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. Here's another thing that used to puzzle me. It is not frightfully unfair that this new life should be confined to people who have heard of Christ and been able to believe in him. But the truth is God has not told us what his arrangements about the other people are. We do know that no man can be saved except through Christ. We do not know that only those who know him can be saved through him. But in the meantime, if you are worried about the people outside, the most unreasonable thing you can do is to remain outside yourself. Christians are Christ's body the organism through which he works. Every addition to that body enables him to do more. If you want to help those outside, you must add your own little cell to the body of Christ, who alone can help them. Cutting off a man's fingers would be an odd way of getting him to do more work. Another possible objection to this. Why is God lending in this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of secret society to undermine the devil. Why is he not landing in force, invading it? Is it that he is not strong enough? Well, Christians think he is going to land in force. We do not know when. But we can guess why he is delaying. He wants to give us the chance of joining his side freely, I do not suppose you and I would have thought much of a Frenchman who waited till the allies were marching into Germany and then announced he was on our side. God will invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else. Something it never entered your mind, your head to conceive. Comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you chose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. Whether we realized it before or not Now today This moment Is our chance to choose the right side God is holding back To give us that chance It will not last forever We must take it Or leave it Father we thank you For this reading We pray that it penetrates hearts We pray that Um Lord, that we make a practice of repenting, that we make a practice of um, knowing that your Holy Spirit abides in us, that you yourself have made your home inside of us. Lord God, so that when we do wrong, that we are quick to repent and that we are quick to get right back where you would have us to be because we are the body of Christ and we are your hands and your feet. Until you come back. Lord we love you. And we and we bless you and we praise you. It is in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Guys thank you for listening to this. You specifically. Person who is listening to this. God bless you. I love you. And I appreciate you. Um, I pray that you have a blessed week. And if you have any thoughts about this reading. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'm going to continue to read. There were a couple of things that. Um, I thought didn't sit well with me, but we're, we're cleared up within my reading. Um, so if you have any thoughts, I'll uh, I'll be glad to hear them and we can even talk about those things. Um, until next time, thank you very much and God bless.